This episode of Thanks a Million is brought to you by Sweaty Betty. Now, I have been living in leggings with a new baby and a determination to not leave the house for a bit or maybe ever again. Sweaty Betty's all-day leggings are an absolute revelation. They're a little bit thicker than some of their other ones. And although I have not put this to the test personally just yet, I am reliably informed that they pass the squat-proof test with a big 10 out of 10. You know the one, drop it like it's hot and make sure nothing's hanging out. The sweat wicking and quick drying material means they're perfect for something like a weight session, but also soft enough so you might just keep them on for the rest of the day. Win, win. So if you are after a staple pair of leggings that you can wear with just about anything, look no further because Sweaty Betty have given me an exclusive 20% off code to share with you, my lovely podcast listeners. Use the code Thanks a million to get yours. That's thanks with a H, even if you couldn't hear it in my voice. Watching telly under a duvet in the middle of the day. Paella. Paella, as they say. And lip balm when you're parched. There are a million things I'm thankful for today. But what is my guest thankful for? Literally, I bought three brass today, two pairs of knickers, like 150 quid. I'm like, sorry, babe, I'm in orthopedic shoes here. It's too much money, but it makes me feel like gorgeous. I'm Angela Scanlon and welcome to Thanks A Million, where we explore our guests' personal gratitude lists to find out the things that have shaped their lives. Gratitude is your soul's superfood, but cheaper than goji berries and twice as good for you. In this series, we talk thanks with the good, the great and the grateful. This week's guest is the brilliant writer and host of the fantastic podcast Sentimental Garbage, Caroline O'Donoghue, a Corconian turned London dweller. Caroline has written for Grazia Vogue, The Irish Independent, Glamour, the list goes on and currently has a regular column in the Irish Examiner. She has written two books for adults, Promising Young Women and Scenes of a Graphic Nature, as well as starting a series of teen drama books, the second of which is called The Gifts That Bind Us, which has just been released, all about teenage relationships and newly discovered magic. I mean, I'm well past teenage age and I bloody loved it. Caroline's podcast, Sentimental Garbage, is a brilliant listen, exploring the culture we love that society sometimes makes us feel ashamed of. Covering things like America's Next Top Model, Coyote Ugly. I mean, obviously Selling Sunset should be in there too. Maybe it's coming. There's even a series dedicated to sex in the city called Sentimental in the City, which Caroline hosts with her friend and fellow writer Dolly Alderton. It's everything you need if you're a fan of the show and everything you need if you hate the show. We may also have news on the latest Love to Hate spin-off of Sex in the City and just like that. Before we delve into Carrie's wardrobe, what three things are you, the listeners, thankful for? Jen Benji, a supportive husband who puts up with me giving up on house hunting every five minutes. House hunting, the horrors, but also the joy. Two, my loved ones who have truly gotten me through a rough few years. And three, the fact that I'm heading away to a hotel in Leash this weekend with the girls. Exotic. She just read an article about a hotel in Leash. Enjoy. Will Quigley, meatloaf, cup of tea and Bickies. And a day off. Oh, that's four, Will, but I'm into it. And Joanna Page, actress. You know her from Love Actually. She's amazing. I am Joanna Page. Thankful for, oh, I can never say this, Lansano. It's nipple cream. For the worst cracked nipple I've ever had from four babies. Oh, I feel you. Sending lots of love. M&S cornflake cakes. I eat two tubs during the 4am feed. I'm watching the tourist and perving over Jamie Dornan. Also during the 4am feed. Okay, on to Caroline. In this chat, we we talk about faith. I know. Women in the 90s, sex tapes and porn. Knockers or boobs, whatever you want to call them. There's quite a bit of tit chat, actually. Following your gut and listening to someone you trust. She's a breath of fresh air. Welcome to Thanks a Million, Caroline O'Donoghue. Hell yeah. I've been reading your book. I mean, this is so up my street, you can't even believe it. And Maeve in her little chokey, I'm all over it. Tarot card readers, I've got a whole host of um, magical beings who help me live my life. Yeah, you're a massive like a crystal head, aren't you? 
crystals, cacao, tarot card readers, intuitives, sound baths, gong baths, like anything, I will t- I take the lot. So I, I just love it and I love the graphics and I've really enjoyed it. So thank you. I'm interested, what kind of drew you to uh, the alternative spiritualist kind of lifestyle stuff? Do you know what? I think truthfully I have been teetering and kind of dipping in and out of it for a really, really long time. Mm. I've kind of leaned more heavily in now. I mean, I set off the fire alarm this morning with frankincense. No. Friend came over, she's like, it smells like a funeral. It's like, I know, isn't it beautiful? Um, But I think I just was quite like very unsettled for a very long time, Caroline. Mm. And I was kind of looking for things that might comfort me. I I was just always quite drawn to those things in times of, you know, turmoil, which basically felt like all the time in my 20s. The fact that it's fully mainstream now is a joy for me. It's amazing, isn't it? And it's great because as well, um, if you grew up Catholic, everything that you found soothing or interesting or gentle or or just awe-inspiring about Catholicism when we were kids especially in Mm. Ireland where everything in in the 90s and stuff where everything was sort of de facto Catholic I found religiosity very interesting as a kid and I really enjoyed all that stuff and then as you get older and you you really I wouldn't say losing faith is one thing but also losing faith in in the the church and the institution itself it kind of takes the best bits really doesn't it a hundred percent and I also think you know that kind of like quite quick shift in terms of generations quite quick shift away from that religion you know and all of the kind of boundaries and in an odd way safety I know it you know hasn't transpired that way but that kind of familiarity when that's taken away for good or for bad there is a void left there and you're kind of like oh I'm feeling like I'm slightly missing something I think that's why there is this kind of surge and for me that like spiritual side of things and god I was like I'm not into that business mm. however it's been really interesting for me to see different friends and different cultures and their interpretation of god because for me god was like a scary dude in the sky watching you, you know, snogging someone behind a prefab or doing whatever the fuck you're doing. It was like not that friendly. Whereas a lot of friends of mine talk about God as being, I, you know, God is like kind. The most religious people I know all tend to be in like non-Christian religions, kind of like Judaism or they're Muslim or something. And their relationship to God, it seems, yeah, so full of kindness and sort of self-reflection and stuff. And yeah. It does make you a little bit jealous, doesn't it? A hundred percent. That that foundation. Yeah. Why is yeah. our God so scary? <laughs> and like, why when we were brought up with this religion that's supposed to be a, a so foundational of forgiveness and being mm. able to just, you know, what, basically once you admit to your own faults, you can immediately start to heal from them, which is such a beautiful idea. And yet yeah. we're all so fucked up and afraid of ourselves and afraid of yeah. our bodies and afraid of what we might do and might think. It's really mad. Yeah. And afraid of like, I think, you know, and you'll relate to this as uh, like someone who grew up in that time, but like sexuality, like there's a lot of hangover from that time and this kind of, you know, don't come home with a bun in the oven and all of the, you know, even up until recently, I think so many people here were like, sorry, what? You have to get on a boat? What are you talking about? Like it's, there's a wild, wild, I don't know. Yeah. Like hangover, I guess. There was a lot going on for us, wasn't there? <laughs> I'm still trying to dissect it. I'm burning friggin' sage every time, every chance I can get. And I don't know if it's really getting to the core of my intimacy issues. Like Totally. I feel like increasingly the more into my 30s I get. And do you know, as you kind of develop as a creative person, as an artist and stuff, you, you, you begin to realise what your themes are and what are the things, mm. the questions that you keep circling back around to again even though I have very disparate career, like streams kind of thing. Like I've got the podcast, which is very much about sort of pop culture and that kind of thing. And my adult books tend to be very much about millennial women and what they face and stuff. And then there's the, the young adult books that tend to be supernatural fantasy witchcraft teenagers and that kind of stuff yeah. and obviously implicitly those teenagers are teenagers now so they're a different generation to me with different concerns but mm-hmm. what it all seems to revolve back around to and keeps coming around and around again in my head is the specific ways with which we grew up which was 
Um, first of all, the thing of growing up in the noughties, which I think was probably one of the most conservative decades since the 1950s. If you, yeah, if you kind okay. of break down what that decade actually was, which is like this increased sense of surveillance because everybody has phones for the first time and nobody mm-hmm. knows their limits yet. And like camera phone, that kind of the grainy camera phone thing of like when you're going to school and like flip phones are, are happening and everyone's got their shitty Motorola. Everybody's seen a video of some girl from another school getting like shagged or whatever. And again, it's something really like upsetting. Yeah. Um, and then there was all this like the, the kind of Paris Hilton falling out of a nightclub all these girls who were just kind of going out girls in LA that we would never meet yeah in LA the Nicole Richie's and yeah and um, Lindsay Lowens and the size zero thing and all yeah. of the scrutiny on them the and- fact that essentially they were just going out every night doing lines and not wearing knickers and just being stupid young women but the fact that I remember that being portrayed so clearly as being like this is how you don't want to be. And there seemed so many examples in the noughties of women that you couldn't and shouldn't be. And the only Mm. safe kind of woman there was to be, for me anyway, was to be a sort of like side fringe indie girl in a polka dot dress with a cardigan on wearing like a leather saddlebag. Do you know what I mean? I mean, I'm into that vibe. (laughs) But that is so true. Like the trickle down effect of like the Zoe Deschanel look, do you know what I mean? Which is just like essentially loads of provincial Irish girls going out, getting bollock naked. Yeah, but also the judgment of that. I think those women were on the front of the magazines and it was like, I guess, coming back to the God thing. Yeah, I think it's all of a piece, honestly. Because our parents were like heavily under the watchful eye without, you know, magazines and social media. But I think when you experience that level of judgment yourself, it's impossible not to judge other by those standards. So I think they were just terrified. It's a really, really fucked up environment to grow up in. Obviously, everybody was trying their hardest, but to have the simultaneous thing of like, a Catholic country where like, I mean, I know it's the most quoted sort of fact ever, but like the last Magdalene laundry closing in like 96, it being sort of like so conservatively Catholic, but in a way that was trying to slowly emerge out of that and still wondering how it was going to do that and preserve its own identity. At the same time as like, the Paris Hilton generation of like celebrity bloggers and that sort of like this arms race between celebrity bloggers and celebrity magazines trying to outdo each other and and the coverage getting so increasingly disgusting. I mean, that's what led to the whole Britney Spears's issues, really, that we're still yeah. kind of reckon- I think we're obsessed with that story now because we're trying to square it in our own minds. Because well, we watched it. It was like our Kennedy assassination, but it happened very slowly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and then this whole thing of like sex tapes and like seeing so much porn for the first time. It's so confusing. It's such this weird nexus of like violent conservatism, but also the expectation that you would like, you know, try like anal at 17. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, and that that's quite a heady mix, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> I think it's our generation's cross to bear, honestly. <laughs> I definitely relate to a lot of that. And I think there's a lot of therapy bills for our generation yeah. because we're trying to unpack slowly. And just the like hovering guilt. When I know I haven't done anything wrong, I still feel guilty and I don't even know what to pin it on. Well, I do, but like in everyday life, I don't know. Anyway, it's a bloody mindfuck. So yeah, I'm turning to tarot cards. <laughs> so, Caroline, today, what are you grateful for? I'm I'm really grateful for um for time, which sounds a bit broad, but I just like I've I've been on a deadline for the last two months, and I I haven't really felt like a person at all. I felt just like a worm with a typewriter. And just like, well, like not, not of, not of the world. Do you know what I mean? Because you just, you get so burrowed into it. And then today, like I, I had a meeting in town at 10. I mean, I'm in London, so it was in Soho. And uh, afterwards I came out of the meeting. I uh, did a big long walk to somewhere I could take in the tube to, but I was like, fuck it, it's a lovely day. I had a big, big chat with my agent. And then I went in and went for a bra fitting and then afterwards, I took myself for some lunch and then I came home and uh, prepared my notes for this. And I was just like, oh, God, I feel so lucky to just have this time to potter about, do my bits, do you know what I mean? Do my messages. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> and I think, I think I've become increasingly grateful for that time and really valuing it and savouring it. Because like yeah. for a long time, I thought that I didn't want kids. 
at all. And I don't, I, I don't have kids now. I'm not pregnant. But in the last sort of year or two, me and my boyfriend have, I, I've sort of changed my mind about that quite, quite deeply actually. And it's, it's happened um, in, in small increments. But now it feels very firm. And, and now when I have these days where I have time to just chill out and do my messages, do my bits. And I'm just like, oh my God, there's going to be a time, like not that far away, hopefully, you know, if I'm like a reproductively sound engine, that I won't have that. That will be a dream and a fantasy. A luxury. Yeah. And I just feel so grateful to be able to do that today. Oh, that's lovely though, that you have the, because I think so many people kind of assume, oh yeah, I'm going to have kids. And therefore it becomes just the next moment in a series of moments. But because you have made like quite a, a dramatic shift from one stance to the other, you're like thinking about parenting maybe in a in a more real way than most people are because they just took for granted that that's what they're going to do. Yeah, you know, I've, I hadn't thought about that, but you're so right. Because I think for years, I think part of not wanting to have kids was part of having this very realistic thing in my head of being like, look, I've, I've been a writer since I was a very small child. That's how I've defined myself, you know. And it's a really hard thing to make a living in. Mm. And if I have a kid... Like I always, I always assumed I would be virtually penniless or or living very close to that because of the the the, the job I want to do, and so I was like, so if I have a kid, like I will have to do so much of the parenting because my partner does as a full time job, and I would have to give up so many of my aspirations, and I would resent him deeply, and I would resent the whole thing, and yeah. it, it's only in the last few years, and I think it's a big part of it where I've been like, actually, do you know what, like you could you could probably do this, and like you're you're established now, you're doing it, you're making you're making a cross doing a yeah. job that you assumed you would never make a cross doing ever. And so maybe you won't resent a baby terribly if you had one. <laughs> you probably will as well. <laughs> I mean, I will, but like a healthy, normal amount. <laughs> a point, exactly. A normal amount. Did you always yeah. think you were going to have kids? No, I really, um, I kind of went over and back. Weirdly, I always felt like, oh yeah, of course I am. Because... Like it was a fast forward thing. And this was a kind of, you know, consistent thing in my life. I could see myself there. I just could never quite take the next step. So yeah. I knew I wanted kids around me when I was dying. What a joyous moment. Um, But I didn't know if I wanted a baby. I didn't know if I wanted to do the school run. I, th- mm. I think I thought you know, parenting was like, oh, made me like all the rest. And to actually, you know, yeah. make a oh, choice. Oh, so true. Made you a little special and different. Oh my God. And you don't just, don't just assume I'm going down the road, everyone else is going down. So it was kind of this like slightly defiant I so choice. know that feeling. Yeah. I'm too interesting to have a baby. I'm way too interesting and special. <laughs> You know, I don't want to be dragged into that bleary-eyed mess like the rest of you. Totally. And And I will simply be an 85-year-old woman who collects a plethora of young friends (laughs) who adore me. (laughs) Um, Okay, the thank fuck for this. Uh, Good good bras, man. Good bras. Good bras. So what? define a good bra. I don't know what your relationship with your bod is like, but... I felt like I was quite delayed. So I was quite a late bloomer physically, but then it all mm-hmm. happened. So I was like, had a body like a Hanson brother up until I was about 17. And uh, then... <laughs> and then what? Popped overnight. Popped overnight. And you know, like if you're 16, 17 or whatever age I was, you kind of already made up your mind in your head that like, okay, I'm just going to be kind of one of those those skinny tall girls kind of thing. Sporty. I can wear silk dresses without a bra. And my, my style icon was um, Keira Knightley and Bend It Like Beckham. I hear you. And then suddenly I just got massive tits overnight. That is exactly what happened to me. I did Irish dancing like quite competitively for years. An ankle injury like knocked me off course. <gasps> I took a few months out and I literally grew boobs overnight. And honestly, the sh- it was so wildly uncomfortable. I remember people going, she got a boob job as if I could fucking afford at 17 oh to get a boob God. job. I was like, I didn't get a boob job, but it was like I was in somebody else's body. I couldn't, my head didn't catch up with my tits. <laughs> yeah. And like literally 
and I, I remember it felt like freakish like a horror film or something because like um I was kind of I would buy a bra and I'd be like, oh God, guess I'm a 32C now. And then it felt like a month later, I was the 32 double D. And then suddenly, yeah. I, once you start edging into sizes that don't get carried in normal shops and you feel like someone shopping yeah. for an orthopedic shoe. And also with the big thick straps. Oh my God, the big thick straps. Spaghetti tops in the noughties. And you're like, I can't wear those. Yeah, at that age or whatever. It was either have a bra that didn't fucking fit and was really uncomfortable and was digging into your yeah. spine and you'd have like your tits spilling out in different like fatty mm. pockets kind of thing and yeah. or you'd have to buy a bra that was essentially a medical garment with the yeah with like three hooks yeah straps like elastoplast kind of thing and like you really, and yeah and all of the fashion didn't suit it at all and like at I'd be all. I was so anxious about like being somebody with straps showing and you know I, I tried everything I even tried do you remember when you'd like have those transparent plastic straps. Forget about it. That's not going to hold up those boulders. Forget about it. Oh, yeah. So do you remember shock absorber bras? Yeah. Yeah, they're still big, aren't they? Really big. <laughs> oh, I would go out with two of them on to like wow. flatten me down. And I remember going to the doctor once, bless Dr. Tierney, our local doctor, and he went to take a like, um, you know, stethoscope thingy. And he was like, what is this you have on you? Have you a fucking life jacket on you? <laughs> oh my God. I was like, oh my God, I was so embarrassed. But it was like, all I wanted to do was shrink everything. It was like, yeah, like I had been taken over by aliens and madness. Yeah, I would vacillate between like... um being feeling really uncomfortable and suddenly ha- and like obviously that era as well like just people making comments the whole time mm, all the time yeah. lads making comments I remember like I, I it was a time in my life where I used to switch boyfriends a lot and I remember one boyfriend saying to me like he was talking about the previous guy I had gone out with and he was like I'm the winner here because I got you when you finally got a good body or something stuff that would just like echo around in your head for years kind of thing Mm -hmm. so I would feel like oddly disgusted by my own sort of like horror show sort of like development but also Mm -hmm. at the same time I could look at myself and kind of feel myself as well like you know those private moments looking in the mirror like yeah. in your room being like totally naked I was like this is a look but try yeah, put clothes yeah. on that puppy it was a different situation yeah I remember thinking that I remember thinking like if only everyone could see me naked they'd see that I actually yeah. am nice actually <laughs> because it just felt like when the clothes happened that was when the disaster started yeah absolutely we should have all been in nudist companies <laughs> so a good bra right and all, actually there are really good ones now that you can get that don't make you feel like you're, you know, in the Nana Club. Literally, I bought three brass today, two pairs of knickers, like 150 quid. And I was like, that, like, lots of women I know literally go into Topshop and buy, buy a bralette for 12 quid and that'll do them for six months. But I'm like, sorry, babe, I'm in orthopedic shoes here. It's too yeah. much money, but it makes me feel like gorgeous. I'm going to have a little fashion yeah. show later on with them. Oh, fabulous. <laughs> Hooray for bras. That's my one as well. I'm- Okay, the thank you next. So this is like a chapter of your life that you are very happy to see the back of. Do you know what? I thought a lot about this and I was talking to my boyfriend about it. And uh, I was thinking of all these like, you know, shitty chapters of like, uh, you know, family illness or friends dying or all this stuff that I could definitely look back on and be like, oh, that was a moment that I, you know, it was hard, but I grew from it. But actually, Mm -hmm. you know, we've known each other a long time and he was saying, you have to talk about all the jobs. (laughs) Like, because like I, I moved to um, London when I was 21 in the middle of a recession and, you know, people ask me all the time, they're like, oh God, do you have any tips for writing a book? Do you have anything? Is it really hard? I really want to do it. Like, Writing a book is absolute piece of piss compared to being a graduate in 2011. Like, literally having to, like, bang down the doors to get an entry-level marketing position that paid 18 grand a year. Like, Mm. I can't believe how hard it was getting all those things. And I was constantly interviewing, always, like... And I remember it feeling so, so bleak. And even after like a few years when I had, um, like, like literally my first proper job was in recruitment. And um, it was like, it was really bad recruitment as well. It was like the people who, who ran the agency were incredibly like every ist you could be. They were sexist. They were racist. They were ageist. They were sizes. They basically just wanted like 
neat little white women to work secretarial roles and anybody who was outside of that parameter with their CV might as well have been just shredded like do you know what I mean and it was actually for my first proper job to get in London it was so galling to be just like oh I thought this was like this multicultural city where like you know anyone can make a chance and just like that sort of staring you in the face of like how prejudiced a place it can be even though so many different kinds of people live there was so ridiculous but then like eventually I managed to get into advertising and doing copywriting and just working for brands like um like Lemsip and Dettol. I used to be called in my yeah. uh, marketing agency the Stain Girl because I ran the Vanish Tip Exchange. <laughs> wow. Because that could have been picked up in a lot of different ways. <laughs> yeah. Like you wouldn't want to be shouting it in a bar, would you? <laughs> Literally, I my I used to log in every morning. Um to moderate the Vanish Tip Exchange, which was, you know, supposed to be this thing of like, oh, people trading their tips on like how to get out various stains. But honestly, it was just thousands of pictures of blood, cum and poo that I had to moderate and approve so it could go on the tip exchange. Oh my God. What about oil? How do you get out? I have a lovely (laughs) tracksuit. Well, here's the thing. Abs- because it was the Vanish tip exchange, every oh, so single thing was like, soak it in Vanish, put it in the washing okay. machine. Oh, that's funny. But I do think, so you're younger than me and my sister graduated around that time and I remember her coming home. She had studied in Boston, mm. came home fresh and enthusiastic and, and full of confidence that only comes from being in college, I yeah. imagine, in America. Yeah. And then came back and it was like literally can't get fucking arrested around here yeah. and I remember her moving to London and my dad was heartbroken I'm one of four girls she was the first one of us to move and I, I just remember the heartbreak of him dropping her off at the airport because he was like he had moved to England mm. you know out of school as a 14 year old kind of thing like when he was a young lad He said, this is, she's not moving by choice. There's nothing for her here. And he was like, I really believed that as a country we had changed. And basically this kind of sense that as a generation they had failed, you know, their kids that they couldn't provide, you know, or hadn't created a society. And I was like, oh my God, that's devastating to kind of think that that's a historical thing. And, you know, by and large, or for a lot of people now, emigration from Ireland is a, you know, is a choice. Yeah. But in that period, I think it wasn't. And you're like, I've done all the right things. I've gone to college. I'm highly educated. I did my work and literally I can't get a job. Yeah. Yeah. And to be fair, though, for me, to moving to London was a choice because I just. okay Because I had gone to university. I grew up in Cork and then I went to university in Cork because like I wasn't academically bright enough to to really justify going anywhere else like yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean it's like clearly I mean, you don't give sure a shit I'm not sure if I buy that but I'll go do you know I'll go you, with you yeah you know like you've got like you know 350 or whatever and you're leaving kind of thing You like there's really no reason for you to try to go to UCD when like you know what I mean like it was just <laughs> we're not paying rent for you up there if they're not like taking it bit. seriously <laughs> yeah which I totally get but by the time I was 21 and graduated uh, I was just ready to get out, so I left. But anyway, so I, I had all like I was just again couldn't get arrested for so long, and then when I finally got into advertising, I was there for a few years, met my boyfriend there, and um, then I remember this is the one that actually is a really clear one for me because it was so devastating. Like I was so used to not getting jobs at this point, um, but. I was there a few years and this job came up that someone recommended me for sort of on the advertising marketing side of young adult, Mm -hmm. which was like, you know, everybody knew that I loved that genre. And I was always reading some big doorstop book about some 16 year old girl in a fantasy world who needs to save everything. And it was one of the most like intense interviewing experience I'd ever had. It was like I had to you know, prepare like a 45 minute presentation and stuff about how I would, you know, change the department and market and everything and stuff and it went on for weeks and weeks and weeks and I had to like you know have various feedback rounds keep on presenting the same deck but with moderations to different people and like for a 24 or 25 year old it's quite a lot of work to ask you to do for free you know I, I wouldn't say that's a great way to handle employment but it got down to me and another person and I really felt like I had it in the bag 
And then I didn't get it. I think it was because they wanted to go kind of a YouTube route and I didn't really have any expertise in that thing. It's something very stupid and technical. But I was devastated. Like I I could not, I could not get over it for ages. I was just, mm. I felt so many emotions as if I had been given the job already. And as well, because I so badly and deeply wanted to work in and around books I felt like this was my only in. And I had already basically pictured and lived through myself at this job already. And then to not get it. But now I look at that. I know it sounds like a stupid thing not getting a job, but it really did upset me. Then what ended up happening was, you know, I got a job at the pool instead. um, And then I kind of built a profile from there with, you know, blogging and writing and stuff. Eventually kind of wrote a book myself, got into books the other way. And now I write young adult fantasy for a very lovely publisher called Walker. And I think about all the time that like, if I had gotten that job at that age, which is 24, 25, Mm -hmm. having visited those publishing houses all the time and being in the industry now, they do, they treat writers with an incredible reverence. Do you know what I mean? And and, which, you know, of course they do because the writer is the client, the author is the client. Um, But I think if I had joined that company at that age, I would have been so frightened of authors and I would have gotten so into my head that that authors are a different species of people that I would never have had the courage to try it myself. And I think I would still be just sort of fearfully writing little bits in in a journal and then giving up, you know. And working on the periphery in the industry, but not doing what yes. you really wanted to and do. And telling myself that was enough because I was near something I liked. That's you know? amazing. And like, you know, the kind of universe, because I'm sure it was de- devastating. And it does feel, I think, you know, and even now, I don't know if it's just an age thing. Sometimes we can pin so much on one thing. No, this is going to yeah. change everything. Yeah. It's going to, ch- because that will lead to that and that will lead to that and that. And, and you've already, you're already there. And then it doesn't happen. You're like, oh, fuck, it's over. Everything. It's so true. I think that's such a thing of being young, especially in your early 20s, where it's like you do like pin life changing moments on 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 large signposted events. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Whether yeah. it's like I remember like back in like, you know, with the days where I was you know, tweeting 17,000 times a day, I would see somebody with a bit of a profile would follow me or somebody who would yeah. be like, oh, <gasps> editor at such and such or something. I'd be like, this is the You're day done. my life changes. <laughs> this is the thing that will turn the dial. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, what everyone hates hearing, but it's unfortunately very true, is um, your life is filled with like incremental buildings to to larger moments that you don't see coming. And like, actually what life is about, it's, building a reputation with people, being a reputation for being reliable, for being good, building the craft in your own home. Like, actually, there's no there's no one moment, you know, really. There is never a one moment. It's a culmination of all those. And it's consistency, showing yeah. up every day. All of the boring shit. You just want a magic pill and be, like, fabulous overnight. But actually, I do think, I mean, I, like listen to a lot of podcasts around psychology and the nervous system and they say that actually when you get that overnight success, whether that's, you know, in reality or imagined, because I think it's always imagined overnight success, which is what yeah, we're talking about. Maybe reality TV is a slightly different thing, but overnight success, that your nervous system has not developed enough to hold all of those experiences and that essentially it drives you mental. And it's really hard because you're like, I want it. No, I'm ready for it. Yeah. And I've ha- I've like had a couple of experiences in my career where I have gotten the thing that I've kind of, you know, pretended to be ready for. And it's had like quite um, dramatic impact on me and not necessarily in a good way, you know, like definitely I learned and I grew. Mm. But I think if you're not quite ready, there's a reason that things take time. Yeah. Oh, you're so right. And as yeah. well, I think... Maybe even particularly when you're Irish and because there is a lot of begrudgery in our culture and a lot of tallest poppy stuff. When that stuff happens to you and like something, something like like technically good happens to you and you're extremely overwhelmed and it kind of breaks your brain and, and your soul a little bit for a while. And you find it's those are deeply lonely moments, like because nobody wants to hear it. Yeah. Yeah. You're living the dream. Dry your eyes, baby. Yeah. 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 It's so true. Okay, right. The thanks that got away. I feel like you have a juicy one for this. This might be a controversial one, but... Go on. 
I'm so grateful for anyone who flirts with me. Oh, hey. Girl, what? Come on. It's not like that's a rare occurrence no. outside of COVID. But you know what? I just think like, I don't know how long you've been with your guy for, but like. Good while. I've been with um, Gaffer for eight years. And yeah. like, I think in COVID as well, like it's been going on for two years. Like my social groups have gone very small. I'm used to being someone who like meets a lot of people kind of thing. And, you know, I, I, I would always take every opportunity to travel for work whenever I could. Mm. If it was like some, you know, stupid event up the country or like any kind of bit of travel journalism, it always takes. I just, I love, I love that. And yeah. uh, then then the COVID thing of like just your, your, your group shrinking so small and not having just a lovely little interaction with someone mm. <laughs> that is leading nowhere and is for nothing. But like I, just having a, a great flirt I think yeah. is so important and valid a little frisson I like a to call frisson. it yeah <laughs> I'm not oh god I'm going to try and animise this experience as much as I possibly can um, but I went to a party of someone I didn't know very well and um, the the guy I, I got talking to somebody who was there who happened to have a really strong personal connection with a famous person who my boyfriend's a big fan of like okay. let's just say it's let's say for let's say it's Paul McCartney, but it's not. But let's say it is, right? Do you okay. know what I mean? So yeah. this this guy yeah. was a really good friend of Paul McCartney, and because my Great. boyfriend's a really big Paul McCartney fan, I was like, oh fuck, I have to ask him loads of questions, um, because I want to take back every bit of detail I possibly can, so I can yeah. furnish a whole story for Gav when I get home. Okay, Grace. And so I was in the corner with them all night or whatever, and then and the next day I got a text from the host saying like what did you say to your man? And I was like, I don't know. We were just talking about Paul McCartney. And uh, he was like, he is spinning out. So what, he fell for you in that moment? <laughs> yeah, I think, because literally, I think it's like when you ask men loads of questions, they just think Totally, that. they're like, oh, hey, who me? I know, I'm so interesting and funny. So easy, isn't it? And I was buzzing all week. I couldn't stop. I mean, clearly, I'm still buzzing. It was about seven months ago. <laughs> But also imagine his little ego. If he knew, maybe he does know now that you were literally just <laughs> mining him for information to bring back to your fella. I know, <laughs> I know. I, I wonder if he has analysed it in time. But uh, oh, nice. Yeah, nothing, nothing ever came of it. I just went straight into my boyfriend, and I was like, "He fancies me. He's spinning out. He's in love with me." <laughs> Ah, we're going for dinner with Paul McCartney next week. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's lovely. A little bit of harmless flirtation. Yeah, so I'm so grateful for that man. <laughs> that man. What is he, nameless man? Nameless man. But you know what? Quite yeah. a fit man. Okay, fit so, nameless man. That's a big one for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the big thank you. It, it, my pal, Ella Risbridger who uh, is a cookbook great author name. and who would be a great guest on this show. There's nobody in my life who cares about what I do more than that woman. <laughs> do you know what I mean? That's like cool. literally every single thing I write, every single like draft of every book I write, she she cares about it like it's her work and like it's her name kind of thing. Mm. And like she, she's one of my best pals and we've been through a lot together. Like, you know... Um, we've gone through quite big grief together and it's you know merged into this thing where we just look after each other and we've had to take turns in looking after each other a lot over the years um and now we actually don't need looking after because we're you know we're both women and we both have big jobs and it's fine and the way that looking after manifests now now that we don't need urgent care for one another yeah is that she just cares so deeply about the work that I do, almost as if it was her own career kind of thing. And like, I, there's nobody else that I, I rely on for their feedback more to the point where I just, I, I, I would worry so much of a, like if she were to go away from my life. Like, first of all, I would miss her so deeply. But second of all, like, I think I would just find out that I'm actually a shit writer. <laughs> but you're, she's like a little compass. Yeah, she is. She is. And even like, I had this experience, uh, this year where I ended up binning a book as in like one I one I had been writing for two years stop it yeah so how does that kind of decision 
get made? Because that's obviously a massive amount of time input. Massive. Into it. Yeah, I was about 75,000 words into it. It was about 10 months overdue with my publishers. And obviously I had used every excuse under the sun, like, oh, COVID fatigue, all this kind of shit. <laughs> but what, actually what it was, was that, um, like, I won't get too into the plot or whatever, but it was very, it, very black mirror kind okay, of thing. Right. That vibe very like, oh, the phones have done us wrong. Kind of, it was better than that, but also it wasn't much better yeah. than that. Um, it was kind of one of those books like The Circle by Dave Eggers or whatever, where it was a okay. lot about technology and work and people and how those things intersect and stuff. And I got so in a hole with it where I think the original idea was really good. And I'd written a short story that I then had had based it on kind of thing. So material, I had made material of it that people had liked. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the further I got into it, the more I was just like, I just don't care. I just don't fucking care enough. Mm-hmm. And if I don't care now on my first draft, like, what's it going to be like two years down the line when I'm on the se- seventh draft or three years down the line when I have to talk about it on Sell a podcast it. and I pretend like I give a shit? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I was kind of spinning out about it and, you know, I went to Ella with it or whatever. And I just think that anybody else would have been like, no, just like, it's great and you're two in your own head and da-da-da. And she kind of looked at me and she had read every word and she was like, yeah, I don't think it's you either. I just, I don't wow. think it's you. You know, and she's like, I think it's a bit nasty. It's a bit cold. I think you, I think of you as being a very warm writer. It yeah. doesn't sound like, you, it doesn't feel like you're happy when you're writing it. Wow. And that was one of the major decisions that made me be like, do you know what? I have to be in this, you know? And that's quite hard to hear, but maybe a relief. It gives you permission to step away from it when that was what your instinct was telling you. It was so hard to hear and it was so awkward in the moment because you could tell yeah. she felt awful about it. Like she didn't like doing it. But she also... And it's a risk to do it as well, let's be honest. Yeah. like And when you get feedback like that from someone who you value so much, your urge is to just kind of walk out a bit, do you know what I mean? Yeah, and just go somewhere yeah. and walk, and like lick your wounds. And um, we just kind of sat in this deeply uncomfortable moment, which was the first time she had ever kind of told me that like a piece of my work she didn't like very much kind yeah. of thing. And yeah. for kind of good reasons. And then I kind of went away and I was like, fuck. And I was like, ah, sure, you know, maybe it'll be grand. Maybe. And I kept trying... And then that February lockdown hit of last year. Mm-hmm. Or no, it was Christmas and then it went on till about mid-March in the, over in London anyway. Yep. And um, I, I had no excuses left and I was just left with the book. And I was like, you have to finish this now and you've got nowhere to go. You just have to work on this. And I just, I looked at it and I was like, I can't. And I and I just shelved it like it's done. done. And then I said to myself, I was like, I need to write a book that I have no excuse to look up from. Like I, okay. I, there's no research. It has to come only from my own head, and I have to write it in ten weeks because that's when this book is supposed to be due. Like that was my extended date deadline. Yeah, deadline. Yeah. And did you and, do it? Um, and so I wrote it, and it's set in Cork during mm-hmm. 2010, the year before I moved to London. And nice. it's not autobiographical, but it's like based on things that I knew. And it, I think it's the best book I've ever written. And I'm so, so, so glad that I binned that other book and I wrote this other one instead because like, obviously it's not going to come out for a long time. It's going to come out in 2023. Um, okay. But it's already like, it's my first you know. adult book to sell in America. Like it's like, I'm having all kind of meetings about TV for it already kind of thing, you know. And it's like, wow. it's such a proof already that following your gut and listening to someone who you trust about these things is so important. Ella for the win. But also to have that person. Yeah. Because it can be so lonely creatively. Yeah. It comes out and you're looking around going, anyone? Oh yeah, I'll read that. I I haven't had a chance. I've been really busy. You're like, literally my heart and soul is in that thing. Totally. Totally. You know, it can be quite a lonely place, you know. So to have someone whose opinion you really trust and... Who's brave enough to say, maybe not now. Yeah. And they're, and yeah. they're like, they're brave enough because they care enough kind of thing. Yeah. Because, you know? Yeah. And uh, we actually, I just, uh, I, I took her in, in the spirit of gratitude this weekend. I took her to like a spa hotel in the countryside. Because I was just, I was just so grateful for, for the whole thing. Yeah. Um, and for her just looking at all my work or whatever. And it was so ridiculous. I like, we were at the front desk when we were checking in and the lady at reception was like, oh, is it a special occasion? And I, I literally said, 
my collaborator and I are looking for some opulence. <laughs> and it was the weirdest <laughs> sentence I've ever said. <laughs> She's like, what the fuck? What? Just say birthday, you weirdo. (laughs) Oh my God. Did you get some opulence? We did. We really did. We were in so many different kinds of hot water. (laughs) Just like jacuzzi and a sauna and steam. (laughs) Absolutely brilliant. We're looking forward to that book. Yeah, this is actually the first time I've talked about it to anywhere. Um, It it will be called The Rachel Incident whenever anyone... The Rachel Incident. Yeah, but it'll be literally a year from now. Okay, great. I didn't know whether asking you the title, if it was like, if there's all, you know, like TV and da da da, whether I was, you know, you were going to say, I can't tell you, which is always an awkward Oh, I, d- I definitely probably so can't, great. but like, who cares? Like. Fuck them. Um, okay. The present that you are most grateful for. Well, I'm a big believer in like, um, when you get a bit of cash coming in, buying yourself lovely gifts, you know. Self-gifting. Self-gifting. Big time. And it's funny, I was thinking a lot about this as well. It kind of goes back to the naughties vibes and all that I felt like I didn't really love clothes until the last I would say three or four years yeah because at first I think it was the the, the body thing right of being afraid of my own body a bit then it was just being poor I shopped in charity shops for kind of exclusively for years and I was totally mm-hmm. fine with it but like you can't exclusively shop in charity shops and like have a curated idea of what your own look is do you know what I mean yeah like it's yeah. great and you can find amazing stuff but like you're never like what's my vibe? Like who am yeah. I as a sartorial person? You know? Is there one thing that you're like I got a paycheck? Yeah. There's a couple of things. I got myself one that. of them is a okay. pair of Terry de Havilland sandals. I love Terry de Havilland shoes. I love them. I mean they're so sexy and they're not sadistic. They're yeah. really high and that big fat platform in the front means that you can walk in them. Yeah. You can. Relatively comfortably. Yeah. Remember that whole storyline on And Just Like That where it was just Carrie walking because she was grieving. She was wearing Terry's the whole time. Oh, oh, yes. Yeah. She was. That's quite a coup, isn't it, for him? Big coup. Yeah. Yeah. And I, it, was, it was after I'd bought the pair so I felt very ahead of the crowd. Oh. Mine are like a kind of a mint green they make me feel like Barbie. You know what I mean? Mm. They make me feel like I've just got legs that go on forever and I have a stupid little job. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I enjoy opulence at the <laughs> weekend. My collaborators. <laughs> um, oh, no, I love that. And I do think there's something about buying that. I remember buying a Porrick Sweeney. Do you remember him back in the day? Who? Porrick Sweeney was like a, an Irish handbag designer, but like used to deal in, you know, snakeskins and stuff like that. Um they were mega expensive bags and he made them in Paris and he was like a success story. I imagine, yeah. I've watched Holston on Netflix. I imagine he was a bit like uh-huh, Holston. Uh-huh. And I stalked this bag for so long and then it went into the sale and I bought it with my first paycheck in a very, oh. very long time. And there, I don't know, it, it is a kind of, like there are those moments, even though they're like frivolous mm. things, they can often like just put a little full stop or a little mark down after a period of time or the beginning of a new chapter or some I think there's more significance to those things than just like making your legs sexy huge significance and I think what it is as well especially if you do a job like we do it's the kind with the kind of jobs where people tell you that you'll always be hungry yeah um, yeah. or you'll never quite have a work or you'll never quite be able to cover your toes kind of thing it's almost like banking on yourself it's kind of when you get a bit of money, uh, say say it's like, you know, 15 grand or something. And you're like, mm-hmm. you know, you do have to save a lot of that for your tax bill. And da, 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 da. But the idea that you would buy yeah. a 400 pound pair of shoes and because you, you're saying to yourself, do you know what? There's more where that came from. I can There's make more, more coming. Yeah. And it's so it's a real I think it's an act of self-trust. Kind Absolutely. Of thing. And it's like belief but it's also like a sign if you if you want to go this way to the universe that you know it's like yeah it's flowing you know yeah so I do think there is something in that well if you're holding on to everything you don't believe that any is coming to you so true so true um okay before I let you go I would literally talk to you all day hashtag blessed moment yeah do you know what it was I, I, I'm just very much living in in the day kind of thing that's fine it was like, it was going to my silly little bra shop after my lovely meeting uh, in sunshine and like had my little bag of like, you know, 140 pounds of bra yeah. in uh, in my bag. 
And uh, I went across to like this like Korean cafe and I got um, a bibimbap, you know, like a oh, I love hot, that. hot rock. The hot stone. Yeah. Yeah. You remember I told you at the beginning of this that like I've been trying to like really value and feel grateful for the time that I have to just do what I want kind of thing. Yeah. So I'm, I'm really trying to do the diary keeping thing more and just like listing like three or four things of a day being like, went this, saw thing, love this mm-hmm. or whatever, you know. And, and yeah. I was just noting it all down as it was happening because I want to be able to look back on this time and be like, God, look how extravagantly you wasted your time. Um, yes. And uh, I, I felt I felt amazing. I love that you know that in advance of the... Because I, so many people, and I completely relate to this, is you have a baby and then you're like, oh my God, I had endless time. Yeah. Why didn't I know it? Why didn't I use it? I'm like jealous that you're luxuriating in the space your days give you. Oh, but, but it's even like, even if, you know, something happens and and children don't end up happening for whatever reason, like I don't like they're never a given. We know that kind of thing. Yeah. But like life gets harder regardless, Do you know, p- parents get sick or people need you for various things. The life of an aging woman is that more and more people need you, whether or not you have anything to say about it. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> whether or not you want to be needed. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like something something will come barreling down the horizon that's bigger than yeah. me and that will need to claim more of my time. And like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just, yeah, it's luxuriating. Yeah, love that. More of that. Uh, thank you so much, Caroline. Good luck with everything. It was an absolute pleasure. And t- sorry, before I let you go, are you doing a Just Like That We are going to do it, yeah. We're yes! going to wait until some time has passed because we want to look at it retrospectively. So it yeah, might be a little bit like of distance. March, April or something, but it is coming. Fabulous. You have the scoop on that too. You have all the scoops, Angela. (laughs) (laughs) I enjoyed that immensely. Thank you so much to Caroline. Her second novel, The Gifts That Bind Us, is out now. There is a link in the show notes, as usual, to go and buy it. I'm off to put on my sports bra. Oh, and watch out for my new book, Joyrider, How Gratitude Can Help You Get the Life You Really Want. It's got a cracking cover, guys. Cracking. Lovely for your bookshelf. I'd like, ideally, for you to read it as well. But, you know, that's up to you. I can't hold you over a barrel. You can pre-order it now. Just head down below there to the show notes or in my weekly newsletter, you'll get a little nudge and a wink if you sign up to that. If you wouldn't mind, leave us a little review, five star only, please. And if you share the review on Instagram every week, I am going to pick one winner and send you a signed copy of my new book and I will sign it personally for you and once it's out in May I will send it to your home I'll even spritz a bit of perfume on it tell your ma your dad your dog everyone you know really and if this has sparked any thoughts or ideas about what you are thankful for just use the hashtag thanks a million trio and tag me at Angela Scanlon via Instagram and Twitter thanks a million is produced by Louise Mason at Rethink Audio thank you so much for listening See you next week.